Um, but hey, we've been in a series that we've been calling Reply All. And basically what we did during Easter is we passed out a survey card and we said, if you could hear us talk on any topic, um, what would it be? And then we, we took the four most asked questions and we, we put them into a sermon format. So um, we've answered, how do we hear God's voice? How do I know what God's plan is for my life? We've, we've talked about stress. Um, how do I deal with stress? This morning, we're going to be talking about how do I deal with difficult people? Anybody have difficult people in your life? <laughs> Anybody sitting next to one, high five them. No, don't do that. <laughs> um, but the truth is, before we dive into this, because I, I feel like this is going to be super helpful for a lot of you this morning. But before we dive into this, let's pray, babe. Why don't you pray for us? God, thank you so much for allowing us to gather together to honor you this morning. I pray that every single mama would go away encouraged. And I pray that every other person would also just hear from you this morning, that this morning would be all about you and that you would have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So when we say difficult people, um, everybody in here probably has one person that comes to mind, right? Or some of you are like, I got five. <laughs> I've got a whole lot that come to mind. Maybe it's your aunt. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's your friend. Maybe it's your boss. But we all have difficult people that we deal with. Now, the answer to dealing with these difficult people is not researching things on the internet. How do I kill them and get away with it? Okay, this is not, this is not that. We want to give you some real solutions of how do we deal with difficult people. But what we want to do, we're going to make five suggestions. And then the first one, I think it's going to really frame up this entire message. And we're going to read a passage to you. This is the message version, Matthew 7, verse 1 through 3. And this is going to set up everything because we have to start here. Josh, babe, you want to read that? Sure. It says, don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face. Uh, it's up there. Oh, it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when you have your own face that's distorted by contempt? Yes. So the reason that we're starting here is because how many of you know it's very easy to recognize difficult people? Okay, because we all have them, but we have to start here because it's going to posture our hearts in the right position. So point number one is this. You are someone else's difficult person. You are someone else's. So it's easy when we say dealing with difficult people, you're going, yes. Okay, finally, how do I deal with this difficult person? Right now, somebody is thinking about how do I deal with you, <laughs> right? Now, Babe, why is it so hard for us to, to see that we're usually not the difficult person? Uh, the majority of us don't think we're difficult, right? Correct. Most of us don't realize that we can be difficult and that we can be someone else's difficult person. It's a blind spot, and it's called a blind spot for a reason. Yes. You just don't notice it. So this postures us with being able to start in a place of humility, of going, okay, first I have to realize that I'm somebody else's difficult person. This is why we read the passage to you in Matthew. And now this was the message version, so maybe you've heard it said like this, stop pointing out the log in your, in the speck in your neighbor's eye before you remove the log from your own. It is the same principle, right? We all think that we're not difficult. This is the reason that we're so difficult because we don't think we're difficult, <laughs> right? So it has to start there. Okay, I am probably frustrating somebody else. 
So we have to start there because it postures us in a place of humility. It also postures us in a place of dealing with people with a gentle spirit of knowing, man, the things that I'm frustrated with in somebody else, somebody is probably frustrated with me about those particular things. So we have to start there. Now this leads us to point number two. And point number two, specifically when you're dealing with difficult people, you have to learn to lay down your judgments. How many of you know we all have some judgments? Especially mamas, right? Mamas have judgments on other mamas all the time. (laughs) Meaning like you feed your kids organic and the other mom is feeding McDonald's, right? That's not the way I would. We all have our opinions about how people should be operating, right? But the truth is, if you read and you go back up in Matthew 7, verse 1, babe, why don't you read that? That's the, the scripture that we just read to you. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same judgment. So we have to remember this. We have to learn, in dealing with difficult people, we have to learn to lay down our own judgments. Now, we may look at people and we may have an opinion. We may think that, oh, I'm not going to do it that way, or I would never do it that way, or I don't parent my kids that way. Maybe you're in Walmart and you see one mom that is, you know, trying to wrangle her six kids, true story, real life, right? trying to wrangle all of her kids, and you're looking at that mom going, oh, all my kids would be safe, secure, and none of them would be fussing, right? Because they know when I pull out that belt, they all be quiet, right? (laughs) And then then you're looking at another mom who is just attempting to keep her kid quiet by like, you want the candy bar? Eat it. I'll give you as many as you want as long as you do not hoop and holler, right? We all have our opinions about the way that we would do things or the way that we were raised or I wouldn't do this. But let's start here. And babe, why don't you talk about this? All of us at this very moment find ourselves in different seasons. What do we mean by that? I think sometimes we end up judging someone else because they're not ready to change yet. And we try to force them, right, to be ready to change. And uh, when we do that, how well does that go? I mean, how how does that work for you when someone tries to force you to change? Right? It doesn't go very well. So, I mean, okay, a quick poll real quick. How many of you guys have ever felt like you are right the majority of the time? Come on, be honest. Okay, okay. <laughs> More of you than I thought. Now, uh, if I'm going to be honest, a few years ago I had this conversation with Zach, and we're in an argument, of course, and I, I, I can't believe I actually said it, but I said, <laughs> I think I'm right the majority of the time. This is a legitimate thing. She, we, we were going back and forth, and I said, are we not? She's like, the problem is I'm just, like, always right. I'm I, like. Always. I didn't say always. But I did say said. the majority of the time I, I feel like I'm right. But what we do when we think this way is we discount other people's perspectives. Yes. And those perspectives matter. And we should always take those perspectives into account when we're deciding what's whether it's a right judgment or wrong judgment. Um, And that's generally what we don't do. We we discard that when we make judgments on other people. So when we say that everybody else is in a different season, meaning this, maybe they're difficult because they're struggling with loss right now. Maybe they're in a season of grief. (laughs) Maybe they're in a season of divorce. Maybe they're in a season of pain. Maybe they're in a season of financial turmoil, and they don't know what it's going to look like. And so... When we're judging others based on how they're treating us, we have to learn to see them through a lens of grace of maybe they're walking through a difficult season right now. Maybe they're in a season where they're just struggling. Go ahead. And it doesn't make us better that they are 
in a season of, of difficulty or that they are, you know, it doesn't make us better because we're there in some a- other aspect as well, Absolutely. Right? So it's learning to see people in their seasons. And when you do, to be honest, instead of judgment, you get compassion. You start going, man, man, yeah, I know they're hard right now. I know they're short-tempered. I know they're angry. I know they're frustrated. But then you start to recognize, like, man, maybe they, maybe they just lost their dad. And maybe they're dealing with emotions that they've never experienced in their entire life. And what ends up happening is you begin to have compassion for people. You begin to see people how Jesus sees people. Imagine if Jesus treated us with his grace according to the season that we were in. Like if he was like, well, you know what? This season you just really haven't pursued me. You've blown it a lot, so I'm just going to distance myself. I'm going to pull away from you. I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to honor you. I'm not going to bless you. Imagine if Jesus treated us according to the seasons that we're in. But that's the good news of the gospel. He doesn't, right? He doesn't show favoritism according to the season that we're in. And it's like my wife just said. It doesn't mean because somebody is in a season that may be less than than you that we look at them and go, at least I'm better off. Because the truth is, in a few months, you could be in that season. And the same, hopefully the same compassion that you're showing them one day when you find that season because you've showed everybody else compassion, they'll give it back to you, right? So this leads us to point number three. I think this one is so important, especially when you're dealing with difficult people. Give up trying to change them. Give up. How many of you guys have ever gotten married and you're like, oh, I'm going to change him? <laughs> How's that working for you? <laughs> so why don't you read this scripture real quick for us, babe, in Luke 15. This is the story of the prodigal son. And we're going to see how real change happens. This is the message version. It says, he was so hungry, he would have eaten corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those form hands working for my father sit down three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. Yes. So if you look at that scripture, here's what you're going to see. It wasn't a dad that chased him down. It wasn't a mother that chased him down and said, okay, I can't, I got to save my son from this horrific situation. It was the conviction of the Holy Spirit that ultimately he came to his own conclusions. So here's what we talked about in the first service, and I think it's helpful to mention it in this one. If you as a parent, listen, I'm speaking specifically to the parents, if you are always saving your child from the consequences, they will never grow. How many of you know that the reason that you grew up, that you got spiritually mature in your own faith is because you did some stupid things and you learned not to do them again? (laughs) Right? The same consequences that helped you grow, that helped you learn, your children need to walk through the same thing. Go ahead. Now, I know our intentions are right, right? We see that it can cause them pain. We see that it could be bad for them. We see the consequences that could come that they don't see from their actions. And we try to step in to help, right? Isn't that what we do as mamas or even as friends to people who we find difficult? But what we have to realize is that God is the only one who can, who can work that in them. God is the one who can prepare their heart to be willing to receive correction or to, for the, even for them to recognize that they're difficult. God is the only one who can do that. We can't do that. Absolutely. It just makes things worse when we try to keep making, making it happen. And when you're dealing with a difficult person, they're usually going through something difficult, and that's what makes them difficult. And when somebody is walking through difficulties, here's what you've got to understand. They usually don't need answers from you, and they usually don't 
want somebody telling them what they need to do. They usually know what they need to do. They just want a friend. They want a mother. They want a brother. They want a father that says, I'm so sorry you're in this situation. I'm here for you. Because oftentimes, think about it in your own life. When you're walking through something difficult, you just want somebody that you can confide in, right? You want somebody that you can feel safe with. You want somebody that is going to help you walk through this, but not somebody who's trying to go, well, I I wouldn't do it that way. Nope, don't do that. You're not looking for somebody to give you answers. You're looking for something and someone to belong to, to give you a sense of security and safety. And the constant suggestions of what they could do or what they, I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? We all have those people who give us suggestions constantly. Oh, you know, if you just did this with your kids and they would act like this, or if you just didn't do that, then it doesn't help anyone, does it? Right? Does it help you? Do you are like, thank you so much for this. This is gold nuggets. <laughs> I, I, no, we're probably inside thinking, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I didn't ask your opinion. Yeah. And we've seen this with our kids over and over. I've seen my kids actually grow in their own spirituality and honestly just as, as growing up to be men and all this, specifically with my older boys, is and Claire and I have had to navigate this, but creating space for them where we're not jumping in and telling them everything that they did wrong and how they need to fix it. But how many know as parents, that's usually what we do because we, we know like the stove is hot, don't touch it, right? Or we know that the next decision that you need to make. But what I've learned to do and what we're still learning to do is to try to create space for our kids and go, hey, tell me what you think about that. Do you think that was the right decision? And it opens it up for them to be able to dialogue and, and they don't feel like you're casting judgment on them. They don't feel like you're trying to push something down on them do you want to speak to that well if we allow our our children if we allow other people to fail that's where actual growth comes right if we hit it all the time we're always perfect none of us would grow none of us would develop that's just it's part of nature it's part of how God has wired things to work is that through the struggle through figuring out the right and the wrong decision that's where growth occurs so if we if we don't allow that to be the case in other people or in us in difficult seasons then we miss out on that growth absolutely And so it's looking at the difficult people that you have in your life and you have to settle in your mind right now that you're actually not going to be the one that changes them. Because at the end of the day, we've started saying this over the past few weeks, our job as Christians, remember this, at the end of the day, our job as Christians is to serve and love people, not save people. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the only one that does the saving is the, the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that submits people to the Lord. And at the end, like it's, I've never had somebody like where you're just constantly laying into them and rebuking them and saying all the things that need to change. And I've never looked at some, somebody when, if I've done that to other people, they've never turned around and said, you know what? Thank you for just laying into me and telling me everything that's wrong. I really feel like I need to go serve the Lord now. <laughs> like it doesn't happen that way, right? People want to feel loved. People want to feel safe. So we have to stop trying to change people. Number four. This one is huge, and we'll spend a little bit of time on this one. Be an example of self-compassion and self-acceptance. What do we mean by that? How many of you guys have heard of compassion, that we should have compassion for others, right? In church or somewhere, raise your hand. If you've heard that you should be compassionate to others, the thing that we don't realize and we don't give enough attention to is that we need to be that compassionate person for ourselves as well. Yeah. We live life, and our inner critic we tear ourselves apart, don't we? We, we literally expect perfection from ourselves, and whenever that doesn't happen, it, it's, it's like it's a never-ending script inside our head. So 
we have to, like, literally, if you want to grow, you have to allow that inner script to change. You cannot allow yourself to expect perfection. Um, Self-compassion is realizing whenever you messed up or whenever you did, you were that difficult person, you had a moment. How many of y'all had a moment? I have had (laughs) plenty of moments. When you have a moment to to say, you know what, I had a moment, but I'm not going to stay there. I'm not going to let that keep replaying in my mind. I'm not going to be stuck there. I'm not going to let it define me as a mama or as a person, I'm going to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's so key. There's actually a scripture in Ephesians 4, verse 2. It says this, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Now watch this, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Meaning this, it is impossible to be humble and gentle to other people if you can't do it for yourself. How many of you know this? We're our, we are our own worst enemy. You beat yourself up more than anybody else does, right? You're probably doing it right now, yeah. right? You, you gossip about yourself more than other people do. You're, you're, you are your own worst critic. We all have that internal voice that says, why'd you make that decision? I can't believe you did that. I, I would ne- why did you do that? You're so stupid. I can't. And you hold on to it, right? Here, here's the truth, though. You will never make allowance for others' faults if you can't make allowance for your own. So it's learning, like, yes, we see other people that need the gospel, and that's what makes them difficult. But at the same time, we are that same person. So I came home a few days ago, or a few weeks ago. My wife had been having this dialogue. We've been having this dialogue past few weeks, maybe. I remember coming home just so frustrated. And I said, you know what? I'm sick. I'm done. I am done being a professional Christian. I'm done being a professional Christian. Because how many of you know... As soon as, and I understand the position that we're in as pastors and we need to be leaders and examples and I I get all that. But at the same time, I also understand that how much you need the gospel, I need it just as much. And listen, the problem and the reason that you remain difficult and people remain difficult is because we have created these entire ecosystems where people can't fail. So... We're at this point of like, well, I'm a Christian. I've got to be an example, so I can't fail at work. I've got to let people know that I've got to be perfect, and I've got to do all this. And the problem is we don't create any safe places for people to struggle. No, there is no such thing as a professional Christian. <laughs> like, the only way you actually get there is by dying and going to be with the Lord. <laughs> but here on earth, it just doesn't happen. So it is making that allowance of going, you know what? As my wife said earlier, are there going to be moments where I just royally blow it? How many of you have ever had those ones? Yep. You just like, you, lo- you lost it on your kid, you know? The other day, my wife, she, she went away. I think it was, I don't remember, it was last week or something. She was out. I don't even remember what she was doing. And I had the kids for a few hours. And, uh, oh, let me share a story real quick. So we just got a, we got a brand new dog, okay? About two weeks ago, we got a new dog because we, we had a dog for almost a year. Long story, the dog got out, got hit by a car. It was tragic for all of our kids. It was this big thing. So obviously, what do you, you have to get another dog, right? So we finally get this dog, and um, it's a great dog. It's a, uh, what is it, a golden doodle? Yeah. yeah, golden doodle. Okay, so we have this dog. It's phenomenal. Puppy. It's a puppy. It's a puppy. It's like six weeks old. It, the dog is the most incredible. It literally whines when it needs to go to the bathroom. The other one just took the liberty to poo everywhere, okay? So we, we gave specific instructions to the kids. Like, it's still a puppy. It's like a baby. You got to treat it carefully. One of my kids picks the dog up, 
and it's sitting on the couch, and the dog decides to jump off the couch and breaks its leg. And I... <laughs> it's a hairline fracture, but hairline, still, Okay. I mean. As a man, what do you think? This is going to cost me a fortune. <laughs> but I can't put the dog down because they already lost another dog. I'm about to pay $400 to cast this dog's leg. And my wife is on the phone with me. She's on, that's what she was. She's on her way to Lafayette to the, to the vet hospital, the emergency pet clinic, okay, to wrap my dog's leg up. And I turn around, and Caroline has a bag of rice, and she's like this in the kitchen, <laughs> spreading rice everywhere. I lost it. Like, I just yelled at everybody. <laughs> I was like, I'm paying $400 for a dog. My... One-year-old just spread rice everywhere. I'm like, just play in it. Eat it. We'll do whatever you want to do. I'm so angry, and I just lose it. I blow it on everybody. And then I sit down after it's all over, and then what? In that moment, I'm like, I'm the worst father ever. I'm the worst father ever. But then there has to be this moment. Listen to me. When you have moments like that, you can choose to do two things. You can sit in that moment and allow that moment to define the rest of your life or go, you know what? I'm human. God loves me. He forgives me. I'm going to make right what I need to make right, and then I move on. Yes, and whenever you sit in it and you allow that moment to define you, it actually creates more of those moments. Absolutely. Because that's what shame does. So here's what ends up happening. I'll sum it up by saying this. There's in Mark 12, verse 31, there's a famous passage that Jesus says, love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Listen to me. You can't love difficult people if you don't love yourself. So, so a better way to say it is this. If you can't love yourself, you will eventually categorize everyone as difficult. Everyone in your life becomes difficult. Why? Because you're difficult on yourself. You're hard on yourself. Everybody irritates you. Everything irritates you because you don't know how to love yourself. So it is giving yourself some compassion of I am human just like every single other person on the face of the earth, and I'm going to blow it. And I have, I'm going to have moments where the dog breaks his leg and my one-year-old is spreading rice all over the floor, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get angry, and I'm going to yell. At, I'm going to have those moments. We're not professional Christians. We're all a work in progress. And there is no arrival until death. (laughs) So number five, this is probably the biggest one. Number five, choose to grow even if they don't. Choose to grow even if they don't. What do we mean by that? God never places your freedom in someone else's hands. So good. He doesn't give you uh, forgiveness and freedom and an ability to move past things only if someone else changes. Mm. It's not contingent on anyone else. You have the opportunity to find that in God, and God can help you move along. Yeah. So another way to say it is, if you're dealing with a difficult person and you're placing your freedom upon them, you're always going to be stuck. Because here's the problem. What if that difficult person, because you've already determined in your mind, well, if they tell me sorry, then I'll move on. What if they never do? What, what if they never say, I'm sorry? What if they never say, what if you never hear the words that you've wanted to hear your entire life? I was wrong. What if the abuser comes to you and never asks for forgiveness? What if it never happens? As my wife said earlier, 
God never places your freedom in someone else's hands. Meaning at the end of the day, they may be difficult to deal with, but they should never be the lid to your growth. So this is what 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, a woman, I did away with childish things. This is a part of spiritually maturing. If you're placing your freedom, well, if they apologize to me, then I'll be able to move on. You have to be able to settle with the fact that they may never do that. And so it is learning to, one, forgive yourself, to forgive that other person, and it may be a process, okay? But if you hinge your freedom, you being able to move on, on that person, you will always remain stuck. You'll always remain stuck. Now, I want my wife to kind of touch on this a little bit, but there's two categories that we have as we kind of bring this to a close. There's difficult people, and then there's toxic people. What do we mean by those two? I think many of us categorize people as difficult or toxic, and most of us just run away from them, right? We just kind of like distance ourselves or like, you know, like give them a stiff shoulder, like don't, don't want anything to do with them. What we can do instead, an emotionally healthy way to handle it, is to create boundaries. Yeah. So when someone says something to you that is harsh or you find it might, like, it rubs you the wrong way, you can say, hey, when you say that, and I'm sure you don't mean it, but this is how it makes me feel. Yep. Um, is this what you were intending? You know, yeah. or, hey, when you say that, tell me more. What do you mean by that? If we try to instead lean in to understand someone else's perspective, like we talked about at the beginning, if we can see that other person's perspective... And we can work through that. That's a great way to handle it. And that's called creating boundaries. And then there are people, whenever you have created those boundaries, you have tried to stick to it, you have tried to do it, do things the right way, you have tried to extend grace, and they still have a negative um, impact on your life, and it still makes things very challenging, then that's where you know you need to pull back. Absolutely. And that's where you need to, to, Zach would categorize that as toxic. And that's where you, you know, you draw boundaries. You you know, you don't have them in your life as close friends any longer. Sometimes, unfortunately, that's family and that's other people that you have to have those relationships with. But you can still navigate that in a wise way that doesn't put yourself in danger. And it, it, it treats them with respect and it treats yourself with respect, more importantly. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to dealing with toxic people specifically, I think it's very important. The way that you kind of, I guess, categorize that as toxicity is that person is constantly affecting your spiritual connection with the Lord, is constantly impeding on your emotional health, the way that you outlook. So every time you encounter that person, it takes you a week to recover. Every time you encounter that person, they draw up another insecurity that you have to fight through. Every time you encounter that person, they're always saying something negative about you. Listen, it is so important in your mental and spiritual growth to be around the right community to be around people that are going to uplift you, encourage you, all that kind of stuff. Now, let me tell you what this is not. A toxic person is not somebody that gives you constructive feedback. <laughs> so we all need, and sometimes we label that as, oh, they're just toxic. No, no, they're actually just telling you the truth and they're trying to love you and help you. See, we all need people in our lives, now yet again, that can give us constructive criticism. Meaning, hey man, what, what do you think about that? What do you think about my marriage? How am I doing with my kids? And somebody that can lean in and say, man, I think you're doing phenomenal. But you know what? I noticed last week when you do talk to your wife like that, I'm pretty sure it probably upsets her. 
I could see it on her face that she was crushed, that she was broken, and the way that you raised your voice. And instead of getting offended by that, of going, you know what, I need to hear that. Thank you so much. And you might say thank you so much, you might walk away and be like, what a jerk, you know. You might feel that, but we all need those people that can constructively criticize some of the things that we're walking through and navigating because that helps us. The Bible says that that's iron sharpening iron, us getting stronger and growing together. So yes, difficult people can be difficult to handle. But the reason that we started with point one is you are that difficult person because it gives you a lens of humility. Of like, man, okay, yeah, I realize in the difficult season of my life when I'm difficult, it's because, man, I'm stressed out or financially, I don't know how we're going to make it next week or whatever the category is for you. So you start having compassion on people. Well, they're probably difficult because they're just in a rough season. They don't know what it's going to look like. So you lean in in humility and gentleness.